you know, it was very clear to us that Silicon Valley Bank had, had major issues. But for, for people who were just looking at the capital ratios on the surface, uh, it, it, it isn't as obvious. You know, people are making snap decisions to bring their deposits to bigger institutions because of this too big to fail doctrine. The too big to fail doctrine is not true. Every one of these banks has a living will that can be liquidated out. Uh, and, and look, there's, there are only a handful of banks that really specialize in this, in this business. Um, and so, you know, just get to know the players and get to know the bank that you bank with. And, and it's pretty clear the culture of banks when you interact with them, how they operate. So what is your, your normal homeowners association board member supposed to do to um, think through where their association's dollars are and how to make sure that that uh, they're not at risk. Most people are not equipped to understand the seemingly endless facets of an HOA. That's why we're here, to help you become uncommonly prepared to serve your HOA. Whether you're a board member or a manager, join us in the Uncommon Area. Welcome to The Uncommon Area. I'm Matthew Holbrook, and this episode is all about what is going on in the banking world and what should HOAs think about and even do with regard to what's happening in banking right now. Um, for this episode, I think it's important to date stamp uh, when we are addressing these issues. So today is Monday, March 13th, and uh, we can refer to uh, what's happening in the world as of as of this date. So joining me to talk about uh, what is happening in banking and how that might relate to HOAs is Carson Lapatito, the president of SunWest Bank. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, Carson, I think maybe just to get started, um, if you were to talk to somebody who has been living under a rock for the past week and tell them this is what's happened in banking in the past in the past week, how would you summarize that? Well, thank you very much for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here. And ba the banking industry over the last week has been uh, something we haven't seen in a long time. This was a classic bank run. And um, you know, I think the media has taken it a bit out of proportion in terms of what's actually happened. So I'm happy to be here today to talk a bit about it. Uh, but essentially you have, uh, one bank, Silicon Valley bank that, uh, has a very unique business model and they had a lot of concentrated deposits, um, that they used to fund very long-term assets. And they committed the cardinal sin of banking, uh, which is borrowing short and lending long or investing long. And, and as a result, you know, there's a, a number of VCs that made a decision one day, even though the data and their financials have been there for, for months and months and months, uh, in a handful of days decided to pull most of the capital. And, and with all the deposits flowing out, the FDIC could only do one thing and was close it. And they couldn't even wait until the end of the day, which is normally it closed banks on, on the end of the day, Friday. And they had to close that on the morning on Friday because they could not meet the outflows of deposits. So I want to pick at that a little bit. Um, you are characterizing what happened with Silicon Valley Bank um, as a very unique situation. However, first thing, Monday morning, another bank was closed. So I want to get to that. And then there are these lists of other banks um, that there is some concern being expressed about those banks as well. 
And, um, and so when it comes to our clients and to HOAs in general, they're looking at, is this something that's, that's more broad and should we be concerned about other banks where we might have our, our money? So maybe my, the first part of my question is you characterize this as unique and yet the way that it's being played out is, is uh, people are looking at this as, as more systemic potentially and, and affecting a wider range of banks. Yeah. So uh, it's, 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 this is unique. The, the bank runs are unique to kind of four specific tech-focused banks. And I'll, I'll explain why. Uh, because of their business models are, are unique and they don't result in stable deposits. So Silicon Valley Bank... And then there's a number of other banks in the news that have uh, tech-focused businesses that they've bought over the years uh, where they basically bank early-stage technology and software companies. And these businesses don't make money. They burn cash every month, right? They write payroll, they, they, they write payroll checks, and they don't have revenue to support that, which is why they have these ongoing funding rounds from these venture capitalists. Um, so Silicon Valley and, and the rest of these tech banks uh, have... Uh, received exceptional amounts of deposits in 2020 and 2021 when the venture capital industry and the tech industry boomed. Uh, the, there was more and more venture capital investments that came into these uh, banks and then more and more technology companies that were receiving these funding rounds. And the liquidity grew and grew and grew. Uh, and in Silicon Valley's case, their deposits went up by 70% in a year. Mm. And with all this liquidity they made a decision to go out and buy long-term mortgage-backed and treasury securities, long-term uh, in nature, and and at all-time low rates, in you know around one percent, you know. And then the Federal Reserve started increasing rates, and rates went up, and these securities incurred a fifteen billion dollar mark-to-market loss. And so, why I say it's unique is that. You know, these handful of banks basically have the same funding structure, which is these um, uh, technology companies that burn cash. And then they, they have invested in different ways. Silicon Valley invested in long-term treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. Some of these other banks have invested in, in loans. Um, but ultimately, uh, they're all having the same issue because those technology companies burn cash every month. So naturally, the way their deposit base works is that it will decline month over month until there's new funding rounds. Well, in the last year, when rates went up, venture capital investing slowed down and the funding rounds became less frequent and they became for lower amounts. So these banks have a contracting funding base, uh, yet their assets are still long-term assets on the books. And in Silicon Valley mm -hmm. Bank's case, they held them in what was called held to maturity accounting, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, but they, were, they had to recognize the losses in those securities when the deposits flowed out in order to pay the depositors when they withdrew their money. And so when you have long-dated assets that are underwater or undervalued or, or are at losses and you have to sell them and realize them, it destroys your capital. And ultimately that fed on itself where people became more and more concerned about the solvency of the, of the bank which resulted in Silicon Valley having to sell more and more securities yeah. and, and then ultimately collapsing last Friday. So let me see if I can translate all of that into the, into the most simple explanation for non-banking people. Yep. It sounds to me like there are 
two primary factors that converge that resulted in what we're calling a, a bank run. Those two factors being that you have a bank that was catering to a specific niche of business that um, were startups primarily that would get infusions of cash from venture capitalists that as a result of that, that when those infusions happened, deposits would go up. They were able to build uh, their overall deposits very rapidly because of that. But when economic conditions started to change, those venture capitalists uh, slowed down and even stopped making those investments. So these companies that were running at losses, they would continue to deplete their, um, their deposits. And so the bank's liquidity would, would decrease. And at the same time, when the deposits, when they were increasing, the bank was investing in these long-term securities at really, really low rates. When interest rates re, um, went way up, those long-term securities became basically worthless. And so now he, here you have the banks with declining deposits um, and, um, and their assets have basically become worth nothing or less than nothing. And then, um, uh, everyone starts to notice like all the same time and they want their money out because they're concerned about the bank's liquidity. Correct. Uh, did I get that basically yep. right? Yep. All right. Um, so that's what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And there are similar profiles and dynamics with a handful of other banks where that they theoretically could be in, in a, a similar situation. Yeah. Yep. Some of which are in the HOA business. Right, right. So we'll come, we'll come back to that. Um, the, um, uh, the situation with Signature Bank yep. in New York that was uh, shut down today, is that a, a similar type of situation and profile? Yes, yeah, similar type of situation and profile, but slightly different, right? Uh, Signature had a high concentration in cryptocurrency deposits, uh, not dissimilar to what happened with Silvergate, or, uh, Silvergate in San Diego, uh, where you know they were they were were a crypto bank as well, uh, currently being able to you know orderly liquidate uh, with the with the FDIC, um, but you know so for for Signature they had that high concentration of deposits and and they also had a you know I believe a venture capital and capital call lending lending business a very a very niche business line. Um, and so when all of those money, all that money started to flow out, they had the same issues, which were uh, too many concentrated deposits uh, that were um, easily removed from the bank and not having the assets, liquid securities, cash, et cetera, to meet those outflows. Okay. So you'd mentioned held to maturity securities, and you said we were going to come back to that. Go ahead and explain what that is and how does that factor into this discussion? Yes. So there's two, there are two types of security classifications that banks use for um, accounting. There's a available for sale and a held to maturity. Available for sale securities are, are where, you know, a lot of banks hold their securities uh, in that classification, which basically allows you to buy and sell them. Uh, and, uh, but you also represent the negative marks um, so the losses that gener are generated by rates going up, you recognize those in your capital. Um, and, and so held to maturity securities is a different classification where you, uh, when you buy security, you put it in the held to maturity accounting classification. You, you are not required to uh, show the mark-to-market losses in your securities in your capital when you're 
put it in the health to maturity portfolio because the health to maturity portfolio implies that you're going to hold it till the security matures. Um, a lot of banks will put their long dated securities in the held to maturity portfolio so that they don't have to show any losses if rates go up. Um, the issue that occurred with Silicon Valley Bank is that because it was in the held to maturity bucket, it wasn't reported on their on their capital numbers. And it masks the situation. And it masks the situation. So if you know what your you know, bank investors, for instance, who know how to go through a finan- the financial statement and and calculate what that that loss, that loss on the held to maturity securities is because it's reported just in a in a different line item, um, can do the math, which is how you know, uh, you know, it was very clear to us that Silicon Valley Bank had had major issues. But for for people who are just looking at the capital ratios on the surface, uh, it 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 isn't as obvious. So that brings us to kind of the really practical point here. So um, for a homeowners association, you have non-bankers on the boards of directors and they're looking at their responsibility to be managing the dollars for their association as fiduciaries they're not going to know how to look into that information um and honestly if they're expecting their manager the management company to do that that's not our expertise so what is your your normal homeowners association board member supposed to do to um, think through where their association's dollars are and how to make sure that that uh, they're not at risk. Sure. So I think that a lot of HOAs have at least one banker or former banker on their on <laughs> their boards. I've 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 seen that. that. Is true. I've yeah. seen that uh, consistently. But uh, so so if you have one on your board, I would use them as a resource. Um, if you don't, I would talk to your you know management company and talk to the bank. I mean the the, the reality is is ultimately there's a um, there's a great relationship between the homeowner association managers, the an underlying uh, the bank and the underlying client. And we, as a bank, have been in this business since 1970, and and we're more than happy to meet with with boards from a deposit standpoint, from a lending standpoint, whatever their needs are. So that brings us to uh, f- maybe a way to frame this is for a lot of associations just to operate and to manage the funds in their operating account, they're going to regularly exceed the $250,000 FDIC insured limit. And so just to be clear for all board members, and you can tell me if I have this, I have this uh, correct, but uh, the FDIC will insure um, funds in a bank up to $250,000. Theoretically, any amounts beyond that may not be insured, although in this particular situation with Silicon Valley Bank and with Signature Bank, uh, the FDIC has said they're going to cover all funds. And we can talk about whether that creates an expectation that that's always going to happen in the future or not. But the point being, you're guaranteed coverage up to $250,000. So the question is, for associations with a budget of even just a couple of million dollars, they're going to have an influx of more than $250,000 the first of every month. And then they're going to spend that over the course of the month. And so they're going to be constantly over that amount. I guess the point that I'm getting at is in that situation, um, there needs to be a high confidence level in the bank where those operating funds are. That's really what it comes down to. And what your point is, is there needs to be that relationship and that confidence level in that bank where you're, you're um, holding your operating funds. Absolutely. And you have to understand how the bank operates, at least at a, on, a, on a general level, and, and ask the right questions. 
and and look, there's there are only a handful of banks that really specialize in this in this business, um, and so you know, just get to know the players and get to know the bank that you bank with, and and it's pretty clear the culture of banks when you interact with them, how they operate. So it's real it's really important to understand you know who you bank with, whether you're a homeowners association of business. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. One is the financials and the stability of the bank. It's also the, the level of service provided. And, and so I, I think that it's incredibly important to, to be comfortable with who your, who your, uh, your banking partner is. Um, you know, for operating accounts, businesses deal with this all the time. Right. You can't operate a business with an account less than 250000 Now, excess funds, reserves, you know, there's programs when you don't need daily liquidity in account. There's ways to generate insurance. There's ways to invest it to generate return. There's all sorts of solutions that I would I, I believe that most of these boards talk about when they when they um, have their uh, regular board meetings. But if they aren't, they're going to be talking about them more right. in the ones to come. Um, so, and and I'd encourage homeowners associations to engage with the bank to ask those questions. Yeah. So, bottom line, make sure that you are um, having your operating funds in a, in a bank where you have a good relationship, a high confidence level and the health and stability of the bank. When it comes to the reserve funds or excess operating or any excess funds, um, ensure that those are being invested um, in ways to where the association is adequately protected and that that money is going to be safe. And the best way to uh, pursue how to do that is have a conversation with your banker and post COVID in the world today, you can just do that very easily, bring them in on Zoom and have that conversation and make sure that, that um, you're making good decisions about um, where those additional dollars are going. And, I, and I'd add, because one of the things that I, you know, you're hearing in, in the market is, you know, people are making snap decisions to bring their deposits to bigger institutions because of this too big to fail doctrine. The too big to fail doctrine is not true. Every one of these banks has a living will that can be liquidated out. Um, you know, we can talk about what the Fed did for these two specific banks. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really important to, to understand the bank that you're with from a financial standpoint. But I think what's happening now is people are making snap decisions about what their banking relationships are. And, you know, there's a credible complication with how you run your homeowners association bank accounting, right? There's important integrations, there's important service level. And, and I think in other business lines, I'm seeing people make decisions about where they want to bank and they forget that two years ago, none of the big banks would provide them PPP loans, right? They forget that uh, none of the big banks call you back. And so what you're seeing is this very interesting shift, uh, in mentality out of fear. Um, but at the end of the day, if you go to the big, big banks or people who don't know what they're doing in these business lines for, you know, some perceived safety, but then it compromises how you run your business or run your homeowners yeah. association, you know, you're just going to have the same problems you had a few years ago, uh, when the big banks don't, don't serve anyone's needs. Right. Right. So do you see this as a, a short-term blip in what's happening in, um, in the market and in the economy as a whole as it relates to banks? Or is this something that we're going to be talking about for a much longer period of time? So 
whenever there are bank failures, ultimately everybody starts to remember about the importance of FDIC insurance. It happens in every cycle. Uh, so I think that that question will continue to be raised at a fiduciary level, at whether it be a board of directors or at a um, at an HOA board level. I I think that this this concept of venture capitalists and private equity funds out of certain cities in America ripping money out of banks across the country into the big banks and forcing these runs like what happened at Silicon Valley Bank. Um, I think that's a short-term blip. I think that that Conver heads will prevail. And I think it's a bit of what the Federal Reserve is trying to accomplish here. Uh, but, but what's happening has very big downstream effects that I think everybody should be worried about. Um, you know, banks ultimately lend out deposits, right? So banks take in deposits and they make loans or invest in securities. And, and so when uh, deposits flow out of the community and regional banks that support those communities and areas and businesses, and they go to the big banks, which don't support those communities and those businesses very well, you ultimately have economic contraction. And so I think the risk of what's unfolding right now, as you ask me, is this a, a temporary blip or ongoing issue? I think the ongoing issue risk is that this will create reduced lending by community and regional banks if, you know, the, these some of these deposit outflows continue because of the media coverage. And, and as a result, um, you'll see slowing, slowing economies. And that has impacts on employment, on asset values, on, you know, residential home values. You know, they can, I can continue on the list. So a lot of this ultimately just comes down to it's, there's a psychology factor to the whole equation even more than, than the, the structural implications. It's confidence. It's, it's why yeah. there's, you know, $40 billion banks that are losing deposits to small, like a bank like our, ours because they have more confidence in us than them. Yeah. So yeah. the bank bank deposits and, and bank relations are all about confidence in the underlying bank's ability to operate, stay disciplined, and continue to serve its customers. And that brings us back to just the importance of having a solid relationship with your primary bank where you're, where you're um, putting your deposits and, and your whole banking relationship is. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Carson. That was super helpful. Really appreciate your insights into what's going on in the banking world right now. And I hope that was helpful for our viewers and listeners of The Uncommon Area. And as there are other developments that happen with regard to uh, banking and HOAs, we'll be sure to bring those to you. But in the meantime, I hope that was helpful.